Broadcasting from beautiful, tropical Vero Beach, Florida, it's Money Nation with Ed Gardner. Good morning and welcome to Money Nation. Today's special guest is Andrew Weibrecht. He pulled off one of the most shocking skiing results in Olympic history, not once, but twice. As far as I'm concerned, it was probably one of my most funnest memories of watching him ski in the Olympics. Other great memories I've had is both the New Jersey Devils versus uh, Detroit Red Wings, and I got to go to that game in game four. The Devils were heavy underdogs, and the New Jersey Devils ended up winning in game four. I was there for that. That was quite a, quite a game and a, quite a memory. But the most and probably the best uh, sports memory ever is 1980 Olympics. USA versus Russia. Luckily, my parents who were uh, Alpine uh, gatekeepers for the race. That's where I got the hat from. Uh-huh. I was a usher in the Olympic uh, hockey games when I got to see that USA Russia game. That was a great time. Uh, I know you were not even born yet, but <laughs> it was an <laughs> unbelievable time. I remember coming out of that uh, arena and thousands of people were chanting USA uh, in the streets. It was uh, unbelievable. It was incredible. But with that said, Andrew's uh, two Olympic medals are very impressive and one of my most famous moments, favorite moments. Andrew, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Good, good to be talking. How's Lake Placid today? Uh, good. You know, we're kind of waiting for that transition from spring to summer, but or uh, I guess first from winter to spring, it's kind of lingering right now. But no, it's good. Things are good. You got a mud season going on right now? Um, you know, we're kind of, we're past the mud season now. It's just right, waiting for it to get sunny and nice and the lakes to warm up and all that fun stuff. You'll be out there water skiing soon, right? Yeah, it should be. Yeah. I'm sure my, well, my brother will be, I, I won't be, I wait until later, but he goes as soon as the ice is off. He's, he's out there. I seen your brother skiing the videos. He's quite a skier. Yeah. Andrew, tell us about how you started with ski racing and, uh, you, you were, went through nice F tell us a little bit about those. Yeah, no, I, um, well, so, I mean, I, I started skiing my, just with my family. My parents are big skiers. That's actually, that's what brought my dad up here. That's where he met my mom up here. So, um, my older brother got into the NICEF program and being the younger brother, I wanted to be a part of it as well. So, uh, you know, we lobbied the, the program. They let me in early at a exceptionally young age of five years old. So I started skiing, skiing with them at five and, kind of went up through that program and stayed at NICEF till I was 16 and made the national team. What was your first big races? I think you, uh, was it, was it birds of prey at, uh, Beaver Creek? Where did you really break out and, uh, tell that you were, you know, you were on a path of greatness. Yeah. The, the, the birds of prey was definitely a big one for me. That was the first big, you know, really the first world cup race that I came onto the scene and had a, a strong result where, you know, it was, it was kind of like that journeyman phase to actually kind of announcing myself on the that level, and and not not really the world so much as to myself that that I was able to compete and I was I was able to be a part of it. You know, I, prior to that, I've been fast in training, and I had you know I knew that I had the skills, I just hadn't actually put it together. So that was that was definitely the the first big one. The next kind of the the next big one again was at Kitzbühel a couple of years later. Um, where I, I came in, I was 11th place in the Super G. So that 
connected the dots between the super G and the downhill for me, kind of rounded out my repertoire. How did you feel going into that birds of prey race? Did you think you were going to do as well as you did? Or did you surprise yourself at all? Or, did you, or were you pretty confident? Um, yeah, no, I definitely surprised myself. I was confident going in because I, the, the previous day we had had the combined event and I had been sixth in the downhill and they had actually moved for the, for the proper downhill race. They moved the start down to the combined start. So it was the same. They took the, the top flat part, which was my weakest part of the course out of the equation. Um, so I started basically on the on the pitch, same place as the combined did, and that uh, that that made me confident, um, knowing knowing that I had had success from that that starting point. That it got a little bit dicey. You know, anybody who's seen the run on YouTube knows it was a wild run, and I I thought I'd maybe overcooked it a little bit, you know, <laughs> and uh, so. I thought I'd given away an opportunity, knowing where the start was and what my chances were, but uh, it was kind of an on-the-edge run that that all worked out. And yeah, I mean, it was it was fun. I still look at it. I still watch it every once in a while. It's, it's... I've been watching a couple of your Olympic runs the last couple of days. They're they're pretty amazing. I, I I get a smile every time I watch them. Yeah. You know, you were ranked 23rd in the Super G going into 2010 Vancouver shockingly won a medal tell us about that uh were you really confident that you were gonna medal possibilities to, to give us a little bit leaning up into uh, vancouver yeah um coming into it i i'd had a strong season but i'd never quite taken that next step you know I, i'd had a lot of races where i was 11th place or 10 you know 11 12 10th kind of knocking on the door and when you look in the context of world cup racing 11th place isn't, you know, it's usually about a half a second from, from the podium. So it wasn't, it wasn't out of the realm of possibility. I just never taken that next step. I'd had a couple close races where I'd been in contention and then, you know, I had a mistake at the end or something like that. So I knew that I was there and I knew that, that I had the, the ability. Um, and I remember in Vancouver, I had, I had great training runs uh, and both, both the downhill training runs were really good for me. And I had a terrible downhill race because I, you know, I got nervous. I got, it was, it was the Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I did what any 24 year old would do. Um, and I kind of got it out of my system. So I, I went into the super G race without really a lot of, you know, it's kind of a no fear, like let's, let's go sort of mentality. And, uh, you know, I went, I skied my run. I knew I had, a, I had a, a good chance because I had an early start position. That was key for that race. There's going warm weather. So, um, you know, I went, I had some mistakes. I put, put the pins to it as hard as I could and came out the other side, barely ahead of a lot of other guys that were really talented. I mean, I think where I was in third place, I was a couple hundreds behind Bodie Miller in second place. And I was maybe about a 10th of a second from 10th place. So, yeah. you know, it was, it was, a, it was just kind of a roll of the dice. And on that particular day, I ended up on the right, right side of a couple hundreds of a second, really. It's, it's amazing, you know it's so tight. Like you said, 10th or, or, or third is so close like within a second. It's crazy. It just one little error. You could go from sack third to 10th, right? Yeah. I mean, really like, yeah, not even, not even one error, just one, one lapse of confidence, one section of the course where you just, you don't, you know, you don't maybe inspect it the right way or, or bring the right intensity to it or bring too much intensity to it. Right. And that's, that's the difference. I noticed you were injured a lot. How do you think that affected your career? Um, 
I, I know everyone gets injured. I mean, Michaela Schifrin, Lindsey Vaughn, Bodie Miller, everyone gets injured. I mean, so it's a stream sport and you're going to get hurt if you ski, basically. I'm not even sure if you know any skiers who've never been hurt. But how did that affect your career? Uh, were you hurt average like everyone else or how did that affect you? Short answer, <laughs> negatively. <laughs> but, um, you know, really like going back to Vancouver, it was I was racing that race with a um, pretty messed up shoulder. And so I, I got through the race. They did a cortisone shot, patched me up, and I had planned to go for surgery after that. And then the next race after Vancouver, we were racing in uh, Kvifel in Norway. And I took a bad crash. It was like that post-Olympic high where I had, to, I had to prove to the, I had to back up what I had done in Vancouver. And I pushed it a little bit too hard, landed in a fence and, um, made the shoulder injury that I had much, much worse and also tore two ligaments in my ankle. So, um, you know, coming off that high, it really put me at a, a pretty, pretty low place. And I, it took me a long time to get out of that cycle of injury. You know, I, I came back from that injury. Um, that shoulder injury was, you know, really the prime and prime part of it. I was just booted for my ankle to try to tighten things up. I came back trained the summer, was getting back into it. And then I actually blew out my other shoulder that Christmas. So I raced maybe three races, blew out my other shoulder, came back from that injury, um, skiing in May, skied three days and broke my right ankle and then had two, two surgeries on that ankle. And so it's just, you know, like the next, the next three years after Vancouver were just, just a total beatdown where, I was in a constant cycle where I try to come back. I wasn't, I was maybe trying to come back too early or too aggressively and would get re-injured. And re, you know, really that led me up to the, to the Sochi games. You know, I, I leading into Sochi, I'd had a relatively healthy year, I guess you, you would say. And, um, you know, I, I, it was, it was tough. It was definitely, one of the more interesting times in my life where I, I was considering whether or not I was that interested in ski racing anymore. Cause it just felt like I was, I was never getting over the hump where I get the breaks that I needed on, on the right side. And that's just going all out, right? You get injured cause you're just going super fast, right? That's you're on the line. Yeah. I mean, and, and yeah. And, and in particular, the way that I skied, I was, I was an intensity skier and I, you know, I was a very physical skier. So anytime that I had an injury, yeah, I try to mentally get through it, but it, it took a lot to overcome that just because every, everything for me, when I was at my best, everything had to be perfect yeah. um, physically and mentally. You know, there's other guys that they don't care. They're able to, to ski through a physical injury because it, it's, not, it's not so much part of their style. Um, for me, it had to be, I had to be strong. I had to be feeling physically good, you know, all those things. And uh, so I, I, I struggle with it a lot. You know, it, it definitely... I watch other athletes and they come back from injuries really quickly. And I, I have a ton of respect for them. That was not the case for me, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> Tough three years. Well, then 2014 came along. Tell us about the Sochi Olympics. Uh, you know, Bodie Miller was winning and you edged him at the end. Tell us about it. That was just even probably more remarkable maybe than the first time. Yeah, you know, really was, you know, and, and there, there was a lot of buildup into that games where I was, I hadn't, put through any really strong results. I'd had, you know, glimmers of 
of fast skiing here and there. And, you know, I was I basically was fast enough to get on the team. Um, but that was it. And, uh, I came into that, actually came into that particular race or if I back up a couple of weeks, I literally, I found a pair of skis that were Bodies that he wasn't using anymore. And I liked him a lot. And so, you used his skis actually in the, in the race. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we shared it. We shared a serviceman and, uh, you know, the guy who tunes our skis and gets our equipment ready. So we, he, we shared it. Yeah. We both use that same resource. And, um, I said, I want a stiffer pair of skis. So they, they said, okay, here's, here's two pairs of Bodies. Give them a try if you like them. And I, I liked them a lot <laughs> training, training before the games with, as with Ted Ligeti in Austria. I said, you know, okay, like what I'm doing right now is not working. So let's, let's switch something up. And, um, I was faster on them. I felt more comfortable and I went into the games and I, super, super high on my program. And then kind of the, the converse of, of what happened in Vancouver, where I drew a, a good number and I knew that the weather was going to be crappy. It's going to be hot. This, the course is going to slow down. I literally drew the worst, the, the second to worst number that I could. Um, I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> so, you know, at the time I thought that that was, that was it, you know, it was kind of, it was all done and maybe I could get a top 10, but just, I, I didn't think that there was any way that, that, the course was going to be fast enough that I could overcome that. Um, and it, in a certain way that I think that allowed me to mentally say, all right, well, you know, let's, let's go, who cares? Let's just stick to the plan. Let's ski, literally ski the course. And, um, you know, there was a moment going into that race where as I was, I was kicking out of the gate, I, I had this, this plan in my head that I'm, I'm going to go into this first pitch. I'm going to put my foot on the, the blue die line that they have. And that's, that's, I'm going to ski down the pitch as hard as I can. And I remember skating across towards that blue line and all the tracks were going, you know, maybe three or four feet above that going into that first pitch. And I almost followed them. And I said to myself, you know, I am not going to respect myself. If I, if I don't at least stick to my plan this one time when I'm actually feeling pretty good about where my program is and how I'm, you know, my, my confidence and my mentality, if, if I deviate from the plan, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be mad. So I stuck my foot on the line. Like I had said, I was going to, I dove into the pitch. I skied by far the most aggressive line. And that, I mean, really that was what, that's what the part of the course that I've made all my time. And uh, then I kind of bled it all the way down to the point where I ended up just a little bit behind shadow. Yeah, Young's you, you let every split, if I was correct in that race till the, the last split, correct? So you right. were, and you that, were and the race. And that is where the, the snow had really transformed down there. It turned to total mush. And that's, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not blaming anything, but <laughs> you know, I, I had a, a couple tenth lead going into that last section and, and it, you know, it, it dissipated quickly. So, Hey, those other guys should have followed the blue line too. I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's a great right. idea. Yeah. Pretty amazing. At, at least, at least I did. So exactly. What did Bodie think about uh, your your uh, your run after he on his case? Did he ever say anything about that or no? Yeah, he he did. Um, you know, he was psyched for me. He was he was probably one of my biggest advocates as as a racer. I mean, he That's like great. he was awesome. He was literally you know one of the best teammates anybody could ask for. Just because like like the ski thing. I mean, he was so generous with not only sharing any of his insight, but obviously sharing his equipment, um, sharing his knowledge. I mean, it, he, he was an incredible guy to be around and 
um, you know, an incredible guy to chase because he, one, he was fast, but two, he had a different way of thinking about things. So it, it forced you to get outside of the normal thinking and gets out of, you know, outside of your normal box and say, okay, maybe, maybe if I tweak this, if I change this, you know, it's not, it's not the way that people do it, but watching Bodie be successful doing things the way that people don't do things. Um, you know, it, it was inspiring. It was cool. Yeah, Amazing. Simply amazing. Andrew, we're going to be right back here. Uh, anyone with any questions, listeners out there, always feel free to give me a call and you can call me at 518-255-8854, or you can always email me at edgardner at cutter co.com on any questions about your portfolio investments we'll be right back with money nation all opinions expressed by ed gardner and or his guests on the money nation show are solely ed gardner's and or his guests opinions and do not reflect the opinions of cutter and company or any of their affiliates you should not treat any opinion expressed by ed gardner and or guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy but only in as an expression of their opinion Ed Gardner's and his guests' opinions are based on information he considers reliable, but neither Cutter & Company nor affiliates and or subsidies warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. Always talk to your financial advisor before making such decisions. Welcome back to Money Nation. Andrew, uh, there's an article out there that I saw, it's a little dated, 2014, but talks about the top five U.S. skiers of all time, and uh, you're number five. You got some great uh, company there. You got Bodie Miller, Ted Ligeti. Uh, you got Tommy Moe and Phil Mayer. And that's a pretty amazing group of people to be, you know, grouped with. What do you, what do you tell us about that? And uh, that's pretty amazing to have two medals uh, in the Olympics. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like anything. It depends on how you measure it, right? <laughs> it's what, what metrics you're using to, to determine. But, um, you know, definitely from all kidding aside, that from the Olympic side of it, I, I've had a, been very fortunate to have the success I did at the Olympics. Um, you know, I always, I, I had good success on the world cup. I had always wished that I'd had more, more success. And I, I did have, you know, for the two, 2016, 2017 seasons, those, those were really good seasons for me. Yeah. I saw that. That was cool because I was actually knocking on the door year after year, you know, for, for consistently, you know, week after week. Um, but, you know, I, I'll absolutely take it that I can fit into that rarefied group of skiers, um, you know, Phil Mayer, Tommy Moe, Ted, Bodie. Quite an honor. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll hang on to that for sure. Um, Pretty amazing. If you measured it differently, I would be further down on the list, though, I guess. <laughs> well, we're going to go with the uh, we're going to go with the Olympic medal since that's the uh, that's the cream to cream. Um, yeah. You know, have you seen many other athletes like yourself, you know, who have really pulled off a big, uh, shocking whim. I mean, there's been some, uh, women who've done pretty well. I remember Diane Rolf, she got a, when she's 17 years old, she won a, uh, world cup, I believe at Lake Placid. And then she won an Olympic medal. There was another, the top U S woman skier. I, I found, I never knew about this woman. And if you ever heard of her, Andrea Mead Lawrence, she's from Vermont back in the fifties. At 15 years old, I believe she did her first St. Moritz, finished eighth. And then at 52 is like a, a 19 year old or 18 year old. She won two gold, yeah. which is amazing at that young age in Oslo. And the, the most amazing thing though, is she went back again in uh, 56, but between 52 and 56, she had three babies and then went back to the Olympics again and got like six. I think yeah. that's pretty amazing. <laughs> what do you think about that? That is incredible. Yeah. That's, um, 
You know, I'd say that the U.S. in general has a long tradition of overperforming at the Olympics. Um, just, in, you know, that's kind of like you even look at Tommy Moe, who is, I mean, he had an amazing career, but his his Olympic success was much better than his World Cup success. And, you know, you mentioned Diane Roth and her Olympic success was better than her World Cup success. And, um, you know, it, it, it kind of goes on and on. We, we tend to have, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's just, the Olympics are such a, you know, they're not a, a U.S. institution, obviously, but they're, they're something that there's such an emphasis on in the U.S. that I think it sometimes gives us as athletes something else to kind of strive towards. You know, it's not just kind of that niche group of people that's watching and cheering. It's everybody's watching and cheering. You know, everybody, everybody in the U.S., they don't, they, they don't care what the sport is. You know, it doesn't matter if there's somebody in the U.S. that's competing. They're going to put down what they do and cheer. And I and I think, as weird as it sounds, there there's some part of that 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 brings U.S. athletes to a different level at the Olympics. Amazing. You said there was another skier, uh, Czech skier, did real well. He wasn't high. He was uh, wasn't expected was, to do well last year. It was actually a, a woman skier in Pyeongchang. Yeah, she she started. I think actually, I think she started 29. I believe in Pyeongchang, which is the same bib that I had in Sochi. And she actually won from 29th. And I, you know, obviously I didn't win, but <laughs> you're, close. you're close. Let's let's shift it over to the Mirror Lake Inn. Let's check about the ski industry, the vacation industry in Lake Placid. You know, this has been an interesting year. I ski at Gorm. I, I love Whiteface is my favorite mountain. I used to live in Lake Placid right down the street from you. We're actually on the same street where you lived a couple yeah. of years ago. So we're kind of neighbors, but uh, I love the white face, but I skied a lot of gore this year because we stay in Lake, Lake George is a little closer yeah. and it was very busy. The weekdays were crowded. The weekends were crowded. You couldn't even get a ski pass this year. You couldn't even buy day tickets for like several weeks during the holidays. Uh, I talked to a good friend of mine, uh, Pat Ledger up in Lake Placid, great skier. He was on the world cup, the uh, telemark uh, for about eight years. He told me, Eddie goes, it's never been this crowded in the weekdays, you know, why is it just because people are working from home? Why is this, why was the skiing so crowded this year? And tell us about uh, how your uh, Mirror Lake Inn did this year and, and the skiing industry up in Lake Placid. Yeah. You know, we, we've had of, of being in, being in the vacation, the, the resort business, the, the vacation business, you know, obviously going, coming out of COVID or out of, out of the spring last year, we, we actually shut down the hotel for two months, just, just to like, you know, really assess everything and, and figure out what's going on. Um, and from the time that we opened up last summer all the way through until now, I mean, we, we've seen what we would call unprecedented business, you know, just just levels of business that, that we had never seen before. And I, I think there's a number of factors that, you know, one, it's a drive to market. Um, you know, we've been really fortunate up here with the amount of COVID that we've had. Um, it's been it's been very low there haven't been a lot of businesses that have had to shut down. And, you know, it's been, it's been really positive. It's been a, a positive community wide effort to, to do the right things to make sure that everything keeps running, not just a single business, but everybody understands that if my restaurant closes, that affects how your, your hotel is going to run. And um, so the, the whole ecosystem has been, been great. And I feel like the, the town's banded together really well to, to make sure that everything keeps running. Um, so we've been very fortunate, you know, it's, it's, it's been 
challenging, obviously. You know, we've had to rethink a lot of the, what we do uh, operationally and rethink our business model a little bit. But um, yeah, we've gone through it. And then, then going into the winter, that was, again, it was another summer was busy, but we didn't know once once things shifted from outdoor activities to indoor activities or more indoor time, I guess, you know, skiing is an outdoor activity, um, how that shift was going to affect us. And again, it was very busy. Um, and, and it was interesting, you know, we actually, because of the way that they restricted tickets, we saw less business on the weekends, you know, slightly less, um, but much more business midweek. So rather than kind of that midweek lull and weekend spikes, it was, it was sort of just a slow burn all winter. And that, that's, I think that the whole town experienced that because like you were saying, people have more flexibility when they travel. Um, you know, they don't necessarily need to be here on a weekend. If they're working remotely, they can, if they, if they can only get tickets on a Monday and Tuesday, they can make that work with right. doing, doing some work before and doing some work after, but still getting out and skiing six hours in the middle of the day. How the bookings look for the spring and the summer, you guys, uh, I imagine you're very booked. You got one of the nicest places in Lake Placid. Yeah. Knock on wood. Things are, things are looking really good. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the events, you know, the, the big horse show events and things like that. But, um, yeah, socially I, it looks like town's going to be busy again. There's been, you know, it's been an interesting shift just demographically up here with a lot of people moving from New York city, at least, living up here part-time you know the, the real estate market's been crazy like like so many places that are kind of metropolitan adjacent or or somewhat adjacent um so it's, it's been nuts and so the 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 people that have come up here i think have brought a whole whole new crowd and a different crowd so it's 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 become a, a popular place and you know we hope obviously that that continues but um yeah no june july August, they're all they're all looking very good. Good luck. I think it's going to be a great summer. I I, I can uh, I think both in Lake Placid, Lake George are going to do very well. I got to tell you, you know, you were on Olympic downhill. You know, I was on the Olympic downhill once too. Do you know that? I didn't know that. No. Yeah, not very many people have skied on Olympic downhill course, and I didn't really ski down it, but I skied across it when I was 15 years old in Lake Placid prior to the Olympics. The downhill course went right down Lake Placid and uh, to me, Whiteface, and I had to get across the course. So there was a rope blocking it off. They weren't skiing or anything. So I cut across it to get across the other side to hit a different trail. And when I was skiing across it, I started to slide down. the. <laughs> it was solid ice. I mean, not little icy. I mean, like an ice skating rink, like a hockey rink. And that's when I know, that's when I realized that's why these guys go so fast. It is literally an ice, an ice skating rink on the mountain. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's actually by design. Um, the, the, the worst thing for a course is for soft snow, just because, you know, one, one person goes down, they, they put a rut in, the next person goes down, they put a deeper rut in. Um, ice, is, ice is resilient. You know, it breaks down a little bit, but you got to, you know, especially, in, you know, when you, when you think of downhill, where you have training runs. So everybody goes down it one day. Usually you have a second training run. Everybody goes down it again. And then you have the race. So they need, they need us where we, you know, not me, they, <laughs> I guess now um, I, I still say we, but uh, there, there needs to be a surface that can hold up for that's not only consistent for the safety aspect of it, but consistent for 
you know, really the, the competitive nature of it. If, if do, there was soft do, snow, the first person would have such an advantage that nobody would ever catch them. Do they put water on the, on the course? How do they get it to be like ice like that? Yeah, they'll usually, um, you know, they'll take one of the snow cats and till all the snow up, you know, just make it loose, spray it down the hose, groom it out, and then usually spray it out down again or groom it out. And then actually they have these, um, they're called injection bars, but it's basically a, a big, long metal pipe with a bunch of nozzles and they just shove it into the ground and inject water directly into the, into the snow and it kind of bubbles up to the top and creates a, I mean, that's, that's the really, really slick, slick ice that they make. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't realize that, uh, it was so hard. It was like nice catering. Hey, tell us about your, um, your non, your, uh, make a wish. I saw you're going to be skiing down all the 46 high peaks. You're going to climb yeah. up in the winter and ski down. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's been, um, it's been a cool project. I, I, we, we did backtracking a couple of years pre COVID. Um, we did it. We call it ski for wishes. So I I'm a board member on the um, make a wish Northeastern New York. And we wanted to do, we wanted to do an event at Whiteface. Um, where we did kind of a, a fun race and a, a ski day with me and kind of like a ski clinic. So uh, in 2019, that was, that was the inaugural event. And we had planned to do it in 2020, but it was March 16th, 2020 was the date and everything shut down on March 15th. So that the event got scrapped the second year. And so this fall, I started thinking about it and decided that I, one, I wanted to do something that I hadn't done before. And so I talked to the, the people at Make Wish, and we th we thought maybe it'd be an interesting challenge. So I I started picking away at it, but yeah, I mean the the concept is to ski all forty six high peaks. Do you, <laughs> do you, do you, you hike up all the way to the top and then ski yeah up? yeah yeah. So I you know I, I have skins on my skis, so you know like a a fabric that you put on the bottom of your skis that you can basically hike up with your skis on your feet, and then try to find a route down, which is somewhat challenging in the Adirondacks because there's a lot of trees and some slides. So that, that makes it easier sometimes, but yeah, it's, it's that's amazing. I mean, it's hard enough to hike up those mountains with hiking boots on. I yeah. just can't help them. That seems pretty crazy. You know, it's, it's actually, it's almost easier in the winter because once the snow's in, it creates a flat platform. You don't have to go up and over all the rocks. You just, go but up, yeah, up. no, it's, it, yeah, it's fun. It's challenging. But the winter, the winter 46ers, they're, they're, they're post hauling every time they dig, they put their foot in the ground. Right. So maybe the skis would be a little easier. Right. How many yeah, more do you got to do? Uh, so I've done 21. So I've got 40, uh, 25. You got to do it by next year. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to try to get it done. I, I had a, we had a kid a couple of weeks or about a month or actually exactly a month ago. Um, so that, that sort of put a hard stop on my, Congratulations. On my skiing this year. Thank you. You're going to get him on skis in the next two or three years. Yeah, he'll be, he'll be probably his two older sisters, both ski, they're five and two and a half. So, um, I, I would imagine in another year or two, he will, he will be out there as well. Fantastic. Andrew, thank you very much for being with us here. Hopefully you come back and we'll talk again in the future Absolutely. and, uh, have a great spring and a great summer. Thanks again. Yeah. Same to you. Thanks for having me. Remember listeners, any questions about your portfolio or investments at all, always feel free to give me a call back at 518-255-8854, or you can email me always at edgardner at cutterco.com. 
Thanks everyone for listening to Money Nation. Have a good day. <laughs>